Hi everyone, welcome to the Transfer News Central podcast. Um, really excited to be here again with my two friends, Johnny and Deck. Hello. Hi guys. And today we have our first guest. I'm really excited to introduce Alison Bender. Hello. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Hi Alison. Hi there Alison. Hi Alison. Yeah, welcome to the show. Um, Alison Bender is a freelance journalist. She's done work for ESPN, Sky, TalkSport, newspapers. Chelsea TV, Real Madrid TV. She's been around for a long time. Oh, I always feel exhausted when people read out my CV like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you've been around for quite a while, yeah. No, I'm old. I'm actually officially quite old now. It's funny because when people try and pay you compliments on anything, they always go, for your age? And I'm like, oh no, I've hit that age now where I'm whatever. I'm in my early 40s, so I'm not exactly young either. Oh, there you go. I'm in good company then. Yeah. Johnny sounds like he's in his late 40s, to be fair. <laughs> the thing that gets it for me is when you hear the footballers that, that have been born basically in the year 2000. I know. Oh my God. That's when it hits you because I remember how I was celebrating the millennium and to think that someone was just coming out of the big wide world. But anyway, yeah. As a Chelsea fan, I see these players coming through the academy and then I look at some of their dates of birth and I'm like, oh my goodness, I could be this guy's dad. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's quite scary. <laughs> And legitimately, not just like teenage pregnancy kind of dad, but actual adult dad. <laughs> we're going to talk to Alison for a bit, and then we're going to go and do our normal talk transfer stuff after that. So yeah, tell us a bit about what it's like being a football journalist, Alison. Wow, where do I start? I mean, I absolutely love it, and that's why I have been doing it for so long. As soon as I started, I kind of knew this was it for me. This is where I wanted to be. Because I'd, I'd actually done a little bit of news and politics beforehand. It was all, all quite heavy. And then as soon as I started doing football, everything just changed. It clicked and I realised what a joy it was. And I kind of worked in various different guises because obviously a couple of clubs I've worked for, so Real Madrid and Chelsea, means I've worked kind of within and inside. So, you know, you're kind of helping the club along a little bit in a PR sense. And now I'm doing a bit of writing for The Sun, which is, you know, obviously completely the other side of things. And I love both of them just for completely different reasons. And they all kind of help each other out, I suppose, as well. I mean, I often get the question about how does it feel being a woman working in this world? And it's funny because a lot of people talk about it now, but back in the beginning, there definitely wasn't really any support or extra kind of, I don't know, help or whatever. Not that I would suggest I want it, but I just used to get on with it. I mean, that was the way it was. I got myself a job. Real Madrid was my first job in football. And it actually didn't seem so strange to be a girl in football back then in La Liga. I guess I was a minority, but it didn't seem to sort of stand out in a way because I was a presenter in the studio rather than in the press room and stuff. And then obviously, as the job went on, I was in the press room and started to realise that I was the only woman around. But it just didn't bother me. I kind of thought, you just got to get on with it if this is the job you want to do. And it is a man's world. But if you love it, if you really enjoy the job and people start to respect you and realise that you're here for the long run, not just because you're kind of trying to move on to something else, I suppose, then you gain a bit of respect that way. But yeah, it's, it's brilliant. I love this job. I would do it for free. Don't tell my bosses that. I think that's a sign when you're doing something that's really great, when you, you genuinely can say that you would do it for free. I think that's a... Although that doesn't pay the mortgage very well, so... No, no, that's But it is true. good. And I always tell people, I do a lot of career speeches, and so many people ask me how they can get into it. And, you know, you have to be realistic about it, because it's not all glitz and glamour. I mean, so many of my days start at four in the morning and end at midnight, and they're up north four or five hours on the train kind of thing which can be a little bit of dead time and some people you know aren't great at traveling you have to be the right personality to deal with it but the perk of it is you get to watch a lot of football there aren't many people that get paid for watching football so I'm happy with that yeah absolutely and uh, I mean what's kind of like you must have covered a lot of big stories as well in your time 
Yeah. What was the biggest story, I think, that you covered directly? Oh, that's a good question. There's just been so many because I worked for Sky Sports News for many years. And obviously, Sky Sports News is so good at breaking news stories. So obviously, you know, being live on air when things are happening and and even just games are a story, aren't they? Because nobody knows the beauty about football. Nobody knows the results. So that, you know, even just a a crazy result. But I suppose working at Chelsea TV was a big one um, when Jose Mourinho was sacked the first time around. That seemed like a really big story. Yeah, I, I remember feeling it was a really strange one because we all... I think everyone who worked at Chelsea TV had such a lot of respect for Mourinho and what he'd done for the club, how he transformed them. And it just seemed like such a huge shock. And I remember almost kind of shaking. I had to I had to sort of compose myself and put together this live report straight outside Stamford Bridge, just kind of breaking the news, basically, because Chelsea TV were the first people to sort of get it out there. That felt massive. Also, I think big signings when I was at Real Madrid, the way they do it, it was really funny, actually. So if we had a big signing, they would basically choose the presenter that they wanted to break the news. And they'd lock you in this room with edit suites, no windows. And literally all your colleagues would be outside being like, oh my goodness, who is it? Who is it? But nobody knew. And they would tell me so that I could have my sort of five minutes to do my prep and to kind of learn my lines. And then you'd basically go live on air and you'd break the news of who had signed for Real Madrid. And that felt massive. That was so special because it was, you know, it's such a big club and, you know, everyone's trying to get the news and even my colleagues didn't know. So, and it was before, actually, when I started working at Real Madrid TV, this is going to sound really ancient, but we didn't have a mobile phone. So it's not like I could even text someone. I mean, obviously it was before Twitter or any kind of social media. So it's so weird. I sometimes look through my old photos of me watching training at Real Madrid. And, and there aren't so many photos because it was just wasn't a thing to do back then. I do come across like the odds. I, I took notes actually at every single training session. I'm so pleased I did that. And it's just really nice to kind of look through those. I was doing an interview not that long ago with Michelle Salgado and I brought my pads just to show him because I was like, oh, you know, these are your training sessions. Does it bring back some memories? And he really enjoyed looking through them as well because it's just uh, fun to sort of see all those old times that you forget all about basically because every day kind of blends into the next. Yeah, wow, that's fascinating. I was going to ask you about the Mourinho departure, like 2007, I think it was, when he left the first time, because that was such a shock to everyone. I mean, like, as a Chelsea fan, there'd been talk that things weren't quite right, but it looked like they got it all sorted out and he was staying. And and then suddenly, I remember remember watching it all unfold on Sky. Yeah, and I was kind of in shock. (laughs) Yeah, it was a weird day. I wrote an article about it recently when I was doing some stuff with The Sun. I wrote a little story. I don't know if anyone saw it. It's a bit embarrassing. but oh, I remember that. Yeah, that's great. Article. The one with the locket. Yeah, I was just... So I was presenting on Chelsea TV that day. And as I say, we were all a bit in shock and when the the sort of the, the six o'clock news blues news came to an end we were all kind of sitting around there was the guy who rolls the autocue and there was a PA and the director and I was wearing like a, a locket and there was a program in front of me with Jose Mourinho on it and I just kind of like cut it out with my hands and stuck it in my locket and I said oh we've just lost one of the greatest managers we'll never get a manager like this again and I said I'll take this picture out of my locket the next time we get like a great manager or something and it's so weird the locket's still in my room and Jose Mourinho in there but maybe Maybe one day I might be able to put Frank Lampard in there. Who knows? But, you know, I mean, part of it, I should say, I'm a Chelsea fan and obviously a journalist as well. But when you work for a club channel, you end up loving that club even more so. But for it to actually be my club as well, at times it just felt really special. And other times that's hard as well. So like when you're getting a bit of a ticking off by one of the players, it can hurt a bit more. So I remember sort of John Terry coming over to me once and telling me I should know better because we were filming something on the training ground we probably shouldn't have been filming. And it sort of hurt a bit more because I kind of felt like I'm a Chelsea fan and, you know, I didn't want to kind of let the team down or anything like that. But we were just filming things and we always used to say we wouldn't put things out 
unless we had the go-ahead, but we'd rather film them if something crazy was happening, a fight or whatever. We'd rather film it and then wait till we can get the go-ahead, you know, as to whether we put it out or not. But clearly this this didn't um, make him happy at all. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask that, actually, because part of the interview, we're going to talk about working at these different clubs. Like, I mean, you must have built up relationships with some of the players. Like, it's interesting with Frank Lampard. I remember his press conference when he was appointed Chelsea manager and you asked him a question. I saw him name check you. I, just, I, I, I thought that was classy yeah it was nice yeah like he remembered knew you kind of thing it did feel like a bit of a family actually James it was quite nice because you know Petr Cech kind of came in in the front row and you know Lampard knows all these journalists obviously he's sat there so many times as a player addressing the press conference and he knows all these writers he knows what they've written about him the reason I asked a couple of questions that were a bit more personal actually because I thought at that point there'd been a lot of the questions that he would have expected obviously about his lack of experience and um, I wanted to clear up a few rumours as well because a lot of things were flying around about all the old guard coming back and I was hoping that he might actually name it there for us kind of who who actually is and I also asked him about you know Joe Edwards because again all of those guys were sort of rumored to be joining him but nobody actually knew but then I just sort of asked a personal question just kind of how did it feel waking up because I wanted to get a bit more of a personal response from him and hopefully it helped the fact that he knows my face and everything but Frank is quite a funny one because I mean he knows me well and obviously he's nice to me because he knows me but you know you don't want to get any player in a bad mood and if I ask Lampard at the wrong time for an interview he'll tell me he doesn't want to do it in no uncertain terms and I think you just get to learn what the players are like and how to judge them so for example I'll always remember Michael Ballack was a classic if you wanted an interview with Michael Ballack you couldn't just ask you had to give him a reason so you, he would he would want to know a stat if you say to him oh Michael we want to interview you because if you score in this game you, you know you'll have scored 50 goals or whatever like he would actually challenge you he'd be like why do you want to interview me and I'd be like well because you're Michael Ballack and he's like no that's not good enough so then from then on I always sort of made sure I had all my stats at the ready and I you know I had very good reason whereas someone like Petr Cech he'll just come and even if the team have lost he'll interview because he's just you know he's one of those guys that which was why by the way I think he's a great appointment because I think any PR difficulties that Chelsea get themselves into he's going to be so brilliant I just thought of a great story about Czech actually that I really wanted to tell someone so you've got a little exclusive here TNT exclusive yeah exactly just to show what a great guy Czech is I remember we were once on pre-season and the players were on like a you know private style jet kind of thing with these plush seats and all the players sat down and spread themselves out with their legs outstretched and there wasn't enough seats and Petr Cech bless him who's the tallest of the entire Chelsea squad gets up and sits basically in cattle class and doesn't sound much right because you think oh you know my tiny violin but he let some of the youth players he let some of the other players take like the really nice seats and he went and sat and with his legs literally up to his chin and I remember just at the time thinking what a great guy like seems small but you can imagine that from Czech can't you yeah that makes so much sense with him he's just one of the classiest guys in football I think he's very intelligent as well and genuinely cares and when that appointment was announced I was so pleased because I thought that was the right thing especially when I saw Lampard's interview when he was appointed and they said that he'd talked to Czech and they got plans for what they wanted to do to take Chelsea forward that was so encouraging and because these are people that really care about the club and care about what happens. I mean, it's exciting times, James, for us too, obviously, because we're Chelsea fans. But like Johnny and Declan, do you actually think 
with Frank Lampard at the helm and with Petr Cech and you know with some of the youth players does this feel like an exciting season for Chelsea because for us it does as fans definitely it's what I've said it loads in um, a couple of our last episodes like as a neutral because growing up I've always got used to United and Chelsea being the top dogs of the Premier League so I do want to see that again because the last couple of seasons we haven't had that we've had Man City dominate we've had Liverpool become a really good team so I sort of miss the battles of United yeah. versus Chelsea and with Frank Lampard I don't think you could have a better appointment for the transfer ban and I think that's something we've said quite a lot and something that even fans and and neutrals do um agree with just because he is going to give Definitely. youth a chance and um it, it's players like that you know are on the fringes that maybe do want to leave players like Hudson Odoi that could really turn around and become the key man for Chelsea moving forward Definitely and Declan first day of the season eh <laughs> I know <laughs> talk about baptism of fire I love it It's got 1-1 written all over it that I think <laughs> just about to say that Johnny you've said that so many times every single week <laughs> I, I say a lot of things every single week I've a broken record but what I would say though is that I completely agree with everything you just said Deck. I think unlike Sarri I think you've got a manager in Frank Lampard who's going to be a bit more flexible with his tactics and with his formations I think so far in pre-season it wouldn't be hard to be, would it? <laughs> As these two know, I was actually quite a big Sarri fan, actually, and I felt like we're not going to go into that right now, but I did, uh, you know, if you go back a few episodes, anyone who's listening, then you will know. He was a bit like Pep Guardiola. He came in, you knew what you were going to get, a brand of football. He wasn't going to tinker too much with that. He was going to analyse the players over that course of the first season, get rid of the players that couldn't adapt, and then bring in players that he felt that who could adapt. And obviously, with the transfer ban in place, he couldn't do that. So you're looking at the situation and thinking, it's difficult to have a manager who wants players to adapt when he can't bring players in and he's very restricted in what he could be able to do in that second season especially without Eden Hazard so with Lampard I think you're getting someone who's going to adapt to what he has as opposed to asking what he has to adapt to him I have to agree with you. I think Sarri was hard done by in the fact that, you know, what he'd actually won, and, you know, in the Europa League and also, you know, getting Champions League place for next season. But I think one of the biggest problems, like you say, without any transfers, I think next season under Sarri would have been absolutely toxic. And I think as well, he wasn't bonding well. With, I'm sure you've spoken about this in previous episodes, but that kind of link up with the fans. And I think that's what Lampard can bring back. And even if yeah. it's just a temporary bounce to sort of give a bit of a feel-good factor, because I think that just before the appointment of Lampard, Chelsea fans were all going a bit crazy checking social media like mad like not knowing what was going on and you know when you just don't know your future I mean Deck, you might feel a little like that with United at the moment because I know that, that Ole's got so many signings in so many areas that he needs to address and you, you know as fans you're kind of like what's happening is, is something going on behind the scenes or are you just not doing it or what exactly and I think specifically with United it's, we've already seen with um, James and Wan-Bissaka is they were both signings that took a little bit longer than you'd expect so um, now with all the uproar with Maguire it's just going on a bit longer so it's that the fact of, uh, there's nothing more you can do to football fans I think than leaving them in the dark and it is something that we've seen quite a bit this summer from not just United not just Chelsea a lot of clubs there's been so many sagas and we've still got three weeks yeah. left to the transfer window in the Premier League I think that's become a running theme on this show is that the, you know we've used these transfer sagas to carry over each week like we had the Delict saga which obviously finally finished last week finally ended yeah. there's still the Pogba saga um, we'll get on to Neymar okay, so- a bit later Lukaku yeah we love a saga 
the Cashelny yeah. saga. <laughs> yeah, the Cashelny saga, yeah. Chelsea are normally very good at these things. Sometimes I kind of get a bit convinced that Marina likes dragging things out just because she likes these sagas and stuff. Like, everything like, I don't, obviously that's probably not true, but Chelsea seem to become experts at sagas. Like last summer we had, Richie Sari took two months from, from the end of the season to appoint him and it was pre-season before we actually appointed him and this year fans were desperate for that not to happen. Yeah, I think the communication is going to be key with Lampard. I just think he gets it. I think him and Jodie Morris, I think they just get it. They understand what the fans want and need and I think they'll be communicative which I think is massive actually in football because fans are important they're so important and I think it's a bit arrogant to come into a football club and think that they're not as important as they are I absolutely agree yeah, I mean, can I, I just we... ask you both, actually, Alison and, and you, Jen. Yeah. Where do you think realistically Chelsea can finish this season, given that Lampard is only the second season of his managerial career, and as in Hazard, the get out of jail free card that he so often was, has gone to Real Madrid? So tough, isn't it? I mean, Manchester City and Liverpool were just so brilliant last season, and City are even strengthening this season. You're like, hold on a minute. So. Obviously, Lampard has got to say that we're Chelsea and we're going to challenge for the title. I don't think he would realistically believe that he is challenging, but I think any manager of Chelsea Football Club has to say that, right? I think, you know, it's always got to be top four. I think that's the most important thing financially for a football club. So I think you've always got to say that that's what you're aiming for, I suppose. I don't know if you'd agree, Johnny, or Jane, sorry. I think once you get hudson Adoy 100% fit, which it looks like he might well be by September, and he stand and he and him playing regularly. And Christian Pulisic has arrived and he looks a really good player with a great attitude. Mason Mount looks like he's breaking through. I've been impressed with him pre-season. And then you get like, I think the second half of the season, Chelsea will be stronger than the first half of the season because by then you will have Hudson Adoy fit. You have Loftus Cheek will be back. And I think he's going to become a really key player. He was kind of taking on that talismanic role towards the end of last season. Yeah. I mean, I agree with all of this. The problem is when you're kind of going up against the kind of players that we're talking. Yeah. At like Liverpool and City. It's tough, isn't it? I mean, we're not title contenders realistically, are we? But then even the fourth place is going to be tough when you look at everyone, you know, even Tottenham were title contenders, you know, three quarters of the way through the season and then they fell away then, didn't they? So I think we'll challenge for the top four. I don't know if whether, whether we will finish in the top four, but I think we will challenge for it and we'll definitely be in the top six. Yeah, I'd go with that. And I think most Chelsea fans, kind of, that's what we're expecting. I don't think anyone's expecting us to challenge for the title this year at all, which is probably a good thing for Lampard. I would say it's a three-year project for the league again. I, I agree. Um, so we kind of covered. I was going to cover Chelsea later, but we covered Chelsea already. So um... I just want to say about pre-season though. I'm, I've been actually really impressed, like the way you know how many youth players Lampard is using. Obviously, he has to, and you know I think the whole transfer ban thing is crazy blessing in disguise. But even the most perfect time for this blessing, it seems like you know Tammy having had a really good season um, at Villa and Zuma at Everton, and, and I just feel for these guys, it actually is a, the right time because you know it is it is a big leap isn't it sort of regular first team football for a club like Chelsea and I agree with you as well James I think Pulisic looks really good I've watched him quite a bit in the past and I've been quite excited had a bit of a dodgy interview with him once I will forgive him and I will move on from it because he'd had a really long flight from America and he was exhausted and I think I was the last person he wanted to speak to but he was a bit short-tempered with me and I was a bit disappointed because I was quite excited about it but yeah who cares he's a great player that's all we care about right now I think Chelsea always 
in my eyes, maybe got a bit of stick for having this sort of lone army. There were yeah. so many players that would either get sent to Vitesse in Holland or where, wherever clubs, and they, they'd come back and they probably did a really good job on that loan spell. And then he would just be like, well, they're not getting the Chelsea team, they're sold and they're gone. We saw that with players like De Bruyne that went on to become one of the best Premier League players. Like you said, it is perfect timing because if this was a couple of years ago, Tammy Abraham scored 20 plus goals in the Championship, comes back to Chelsea and he's gone again. He's either sold to Villa or he's gone to another Premier League club that's been promoted but now there's actually a chance that he could be the striker that Chelsea so desperately need so it's really exciting it's so exciting I mean when else do you get that opportunity when they're buying in you know big name players from all over Europe and it's great for the players that have actually been patient at Chelsea as well and not gone off and ended up elsewhere basically because they're not getting their chances so I think it's really really exciting yeah, this is great, great insight, Alison. Really um, good insight into the um, life of a football journalist as well, I think. I do I do have a quick question for you, Alison, about your career, because yeah, obviously you work for ESPN, yep. and I find that really interesting because we obviously see from American broadcasters, they can, can watch pretty much every Premier League game nowadays more than we can in the UK. How is that different for working for someone like ESPN compared to Sky Sports in the UK? Like, Is it a big difference? Would it be something you'd advise to a like budding sports journalist? Yeah, it's, it's huge, actually. I don't even know where to start because you just learn so much working for a US broadcaster. I mean, one of the things I like, Americans are just incredibly enthusiastic people in general. So what I did love about working for an American broadcaster is you get really good feedback, actually. And most people, are just, you know, just from viewers and from fans, people actually, they're so positive and encouraging. And they, you know, they say, hey, thanks for letting us know this, but we'd really like to know this as well. And so in a way, you almost have a bit more of an interactive relationship with the people who are watching. And that's great. I absolutely loved that. I think as a woman as well, working in America massively helped me because suddenly I became an English voice in America is basically someone who can talk about football. So suddenly you you have this authority on football, whereas in UK, I sometimes struggled because it was always like, oh, but you're a girl. What do you really know about football? Kind of, you know, all those sort of dated views. It gave me a, a massive amount of confidence. But the other funny thing was when I first arrived on campus at ESPN, I mean, it's like a university. It's absolutely huge. I thought Sky Sports was big enough. And, you know, there I was in the Sky Sports makeup room, getting my makeup done and going on set. And it was one set. But when you go to ESPN, there's like 20 makeup rooms and 20 different sets and all these people on air all at the same time. And wow. it's just vast. Um, you're welcomed into kind of locker rooms a lot more easily over there. So I think that sometimes like my bosses thought it was really strange that I couldn't just post-match, just kind of go in and grab the biggest name player to speak to me. Because the problem is, of course, you know, it sounds arrogant, but they're ESPN. They're worldwide best in sports. So kind of everyone wanted to speak to them. Whereas in England, I'd speak to some of the press officers and I'd be like, oh, hey, you know, can we have an interview with whoever it was, Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United for ESPN? And they'd be like, sorry, kind of join the back of the queue behind BBC and Sky. And I think ESPN found that quite difficult to accept because they were used to playing tumbling over themselves to get on ESPN so it's just about yeah. balancing these weird cultural differences and so as a journo and as a presenter I really learned a lot about the different cultures and brought everything with me I suppose and now you know I try and do things a bit differently I think ESPN were, were some of the first to do things really casually as well like get your mobile phone and stick it in your face like when I was at the World Cup they wanted me doing like travel blogs and that kind of thing and I remember even the fans weren't ready for it everyone was kind of laughing like you know who's this girl like talking to her mobile phone but now of course you see it everywhere so I guess they were a little bit ahead of their time as America often is 
So yeah, loads of differences. But I also love kind of something a bit quaint about England as well when you come back from America and that actually you love. So, you know, it can be a little bit big and vast. And one thing I will say as well, I didn't really enjoy the kind of atmosphere around a football game when I was in America. I found them a bit too gimmicky. There was like all this kind of corners sponsored by McDonald's and you'd have this like crazy thing that comes up on the screen and people running around selling you hot dogs and you're like trying to watch a football match here. It's a, it's a really good point to be fair because someone I'm really interested in American sports as well so I consume a lot of American media so actually now watching a lot of football and Premier League content is really interesting for me because it feels like I'm betraying Sky Sports a bit because in my household anyway I get very used to having Sky Sports news on constantly so I'm just consuming sport all the time but I find myself really really enjoying it especially one of my favorite journalists at the moment is a woman called Rachel Nichols who's a presenter for um, ESPN she is um she's been great and it's sort of bizarre because like you said there's all these horrible stereotypes sometimes of women in sport sometimes we can be surprised still but it's great that people like yourself can be this sort of shining light for (laughs) for sport in that sense and to encourage um young men and women as well such as uh, ourselves and people younger than us that um that can go on and find a way in sports journalism so it's really nice to see and I'm just a bit biased just because I've consumed so much American sport media at the moment just because I find myself watching ESPN and Bleach Report more than I do Sky Sports at the moment yeah I mean they do and they do do it differently I think it's you know I think it's really nice and I also think sometimes we're very stuck in our ways and I know that when I worked at Sky Sports News the, the boss there at the time Andy Cairns was trying to make it a little bit more like American TV he wanted it to be a bit more chatty and interactive so you know I'd be sort of the girl and the guy host I was often on with say Jim White and then mm. we'll have a little chat to try and make it a bit more US but then they definitely pulled back from that and they decided that it didn't work and they didn't really want it that way at all so they definitely did little kind of experiments to try and jazz things up a bit I think actually Good Morning Britain does it quite well like that in the big debate basically because football is about debate isn't it I mean it does divide opinion I've done a couple of those with peers and I know he's a bit marmite you love him or you hate him but Someone as polarising as Piers Morgan. <laughs> but he gets you to have an opinion, which is pretty good. I mean, I, I'm one of those people that I'm very good at sitting on the fence. And he actually forces you to have an opinion one way or the other, which I sort of found a bit hard at first. But yeah, going back to kind of being traditional, I remember going to a meeting at ESPN and they were talking about the future of football games. And they were saying that they genuinely believe, you know, within our lifetime, there'll be a time when you're sitting at your, you know, you're a season ticket holder, you sit in your same seat, you know all the people around you. And there'll come a time where you have like a mobile phone app or audio drinks that will be delivered to your seat and they were even saying that you could be watching the game and you decide at that point that you want you know a shirt with someone's name on it and you press it on your app and like a drone would come and like deliver it to your seat which is ridiculous and it's laughable and everyone was like this is never going to happen but we might start seeing this kind of craziness creep up um it's a bit much for me though i was interested because you've worked in different mediums alison you've three sbn and sky and done reporting and tv but you've also been on talk sport yeah um, still on talk sport and you're on bbc radio and you've obviously you've written for the sun like you said like how do you find the difference between the different mediums like i i always call myself really um i'm a presenter really and i'm a host and i really like tv and that's where i began but you have to be adaptable because there aren't that many of those jobs that kind of go around and you can't really have long stretches without any work because you end up you know you can't pay the bills so actually all of the different things I've ended up getting into are mainly just because I through necessity through money really so I even didn't really particularly want to be a reporter I definitely much preferred the hosting side of things and I just took on a bit of reporting because I was between shows I guess of hosting 
then I realized I really enjoyed the reporting. So I kind of stuck with that. And I, I also think it's funny because people sort of forget what you've done in the past. And so suddenly you start getting tons of reporting jobs because people see you as a reporter. And a similar thing happened with radio. I, I didn't really know if I could do radio. It wasn't really something I'd thought of doing. But, you know, some of the hosting jobs had dried up a bit. So I was like, hey, you know, I'm not going to say no. I'm going to give radio a try, see if it's for me. I don't know. And then I realized actually um, it allowed you to have an opinion. Because in the past, when I was at Sky Sports, it was all about, you know, Alison, you're here to just read the autocue and say the facts, but don't have any opinions ever. No one cares about your opinion. But then suddenly I've got people going, well, you've got to have an opinion now. And I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. Oh, I'm not used to this. Um, but then I realized I quite enjoyed it because I could sort of draw upon all my experiences in the past. And I you know, quite enjoyed it. So the radio kind of came out of that, really. And then the newspaper, similarly, I've, I've never really written before. I actually told the editor, I don't think I can write. But he said, give me a, an article and let me be the judge of that. So that's turned into something as well. So, you know, never say never. You, your career is constantly adapting, I suppose. But if I'm totally honest, I guess I'm waiting for the phone to ring about another hosting job because that's what I absolutely love. That's what I think I'm best at. I've got 20 years worth of experience in that. But there aren't that many around. So, you know, you just you do all the other stuff along the way because it all helps, doesn't it? So you're keeping yourself in the game. You're watching football and learning along the way. I'm sure you'd say, Alison, though, that having so many different uh, avenues to go down, you've alluded to, that versatility, while it's important, is also is it also so exciting and fun to be able to do all these different things at once. I know your main love, your main love would be presenting, but to have all these other things to do as well, does it make it exciting, yeah. the flexibility in terms of what you can do as a multimedia journalist? Definitely it does. And it also, over this kind of 20-year career of my life, like my life has changed because I'm now a mum of two tiny kids. So I'm kind of trying to do everything around also being what I'm trying to be is quite a present parent as well. So things like writing can work really well. For example, my little baby is sleeping right now upstairs and I'm chatting to you guys so that's something I'm able to do whereas if I was hosting a show I couldn't really leave her <laughs> on a cot in her own so yeah so it's flexibility but yeah it's exciting and so now I can then go and do a report after the game maybe interview a player and then I can actually on the train on the way home I can write it up as an article or make an appearance on a radio so one of the things if anyone's listening who's kind of considering getting into this I would say never kind of be inflexible because it helps basically but yeah you can get a bit over busy like I am a bit bad I, I say yes a bit too much so so, uh, you know, I'm always working. Well, this has been fascinating. Really has. Oh, good. Really great insight and um, learned a lot. And as somebody who has kind of accidentally fallen into doing this and is getting increasingly interested in it, yeah, this has been uh, really eye-opening as well. And to hear some of the things from, from Chelsea and Madrid, and that was, was, I think, really, really interesting. So does this mean we get to talk about other transfer news now, James? That was going to be my segue. It isn't Chelsea. <laughs> I was going to segue there. Oh, wow, I ruined it. You ruined wow. my segue, so uh, don't judge me. Shame, I'm so you. sorry. But there's a lot of people, there's a lot of news that people are reporting on right now in football. Like this week, we've had so much go on. So we're going to try and, we'll probably not be able to cover everything, but we'll try to cover a few things. And uh, We'll be efficient with time. It'll be good to get your thoughts on this as well, Alison. 100%, yeah. Okay, so I think a really good thing to start with and it's something we've covered before it's kind of a one of these sagas and it was big news this week and actually involves Manchester United oh wow always does for me it's Neymar now Neymar this week um, we heard that he wanted to leave PSG he hadn't turned up for training then we heard news that Barcelona had bid 100 million plus two of any six players 
Yeah, I like that. There's something kind of funny about that, isn't there? Give me a six, have a choice. They're all, there were six decent players as well. Yeah, they were. Coutinho and Dembele, Rakitic, yeah, not bad. Yeah, they, and they said an unnamed sixth player, which I thought was really funny. They couldn't find the name of the sixth Lionel player. Messi. Well, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you that. But then, there were, then the next day came out that there was that Neymar had offered himself to three other clubs in a specific order. Uh, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Manchester United. And so, I mean, it's just, we don't know what's going on. We've been talking about Neymar on this podcast and speculating what will happen. I Honestly, I'm, I'm not even sure what's going to happen. What are your thoughts on, on this, Alison? The one thing I'll say is that if a player doesn't want to be somewhere, you, you just got to cut loose if you're PSG, right? Because you hear about all these terrible things when you let the players rot with the under-23s and all the rest of it. And that's so toxic because they've got friends. And I, I just hate those sort of bad apple chats that you hear about. And it happens to every club and it depends how well they, they deal with it. When they had the sort of the, whatever it was, 90, 100 million plus two players in Barcelona, you kind of got to take it. But then obviously when a player starts getting involved and also you know that these players are surrounded by agents as well and so many different agents that are giving them all different pieces of advice. So it is such a tricky one. I mean, crikey, Manchester United fans must be getting a bit excited with the, the mention of them, don't you think? No, we've, we've already got too many South American people that we overpay in uh, Alexis Sanchez. So um, yes, I don't think we need a Brazilian one now that we'd probably pay half a million a week to probably not form at the same level that he probably can do you really wouldn't want him at your club I mean a player as great as he is I don't think so I think it's one of those issues and I completely agree with you when a player when they don't want to be somewhere it's probably best to move them on but <coughs> do you not think it gives um, <laughs> do you not yes, think it gives agreed. players too much that player, player power, power issue where they can just go right well we didn't qualify for the Champions League so off I go and then it, it just feels like there's no love in football it's all about money yeah. I, I guess that's inevitable sometimes with how much money is in the game it is sad and I do agree with you to a certain extent I mean obviously if you're a manager you can try and change their mind like it looks like Ole's trying to do that with Pogba actually at the moment you know Pogba's pretty outspokenly said he said it in Japan didn't he you know, he wants to leave the club but Ole's saying you know when I was at Moldar I said it and I'll say it again now I will build the team around him I mean maybe he'll do something crazy like you know offer the captaincy or you know really give him assurances that he is the main man there so obviously as a manager you try first of all you try and see if you can make them happy and then if, if it's clearly someone who wants away then I think you've just got to work it out but yeah, player power is so frustrating, but we are in a world of player power now, aren't we? And that's name was not the only player we've seen this with this week. Koscielny as well. Yeah, I was going to talk about another Manchester United link. <laughs> oh. Wow, I'm getting spoiled. Neymar's been linked with Manchester United, so I felt, you know... Um, Maguire? Maguire. Maguire this week. We Let's had, talk about Maguire. <laughs> we had his agent, I think it was either his agent or somebody associated with him, leaked out to Sky and the media that um, he was really interested in joining Manchester United, that he wanted to play at the same club as his idols like Vidic and um, Rio Ferdinand, I think was mentioned. And there were rumours that he was interested in becoming Man United captain at some point. And this was all, again, it was another kind of, and after a summer where a few months, in the last few weeks, we kind of like, Maguire's happy to stay at Leicester. He doesn't mind. Like if, you know, if, if, if a move happens, it happens, but he's okay at Leicester. And this week that completely changed. And it's, um, I want to go to Manchester United and I want to play alongside Vidic and I want to, 
I, you know, I want this move, it's possible. And now it almost looks like it's inevitable that it's going to happen. It's got to be. I mean, the one thing I'd say about Maguire is the time is now for him because his PR is still pretty high right now, I think. And, you know, he's a good player. I think he'll be a decent signing for Manchester United. I actually think I'm surprised that, you know, given the choice, because we heard a lot about Manchester City as well, you would have thought maybe that he'd prefer to sort of go somewhere with Champions League football. But then I suppose if you look at like Jones and Smalling, they've been there for like a decade at United and, and they've had, and obviously they've signed other players as well. Like Jose signed, you know, sort of they've had Bailly, hasn't really been that consistent. And they've had a few other sort of centre-backs that hasn't quite worked out. So maybe he thinks that he has the kind of best chance to shine at Manchester United. I don't know. But I think if it doesn't happen this window, it just feels like suddenly he'll have like a decent season at Leicester and suddenly kind of fall a bit off the radar. And then someone else, some other bright young prospect will be sort of out there. But yeah, I mean, I think it would be a pretty reasonable fit. And especially if he says it, he wants to go there. We've said before, at least I've said before on this podcast, because uh, I like to repeat myself, is that, of course, £80 million as a, as a fee does seem quite a lot. And of course, we feel like Leicester know that Man United are in a desperate position where they need to strengthen at centre-back. What I believe is that it's probably better to pay more in terms of a transfer is to bring a player in and then give him ridiculous wages from the start, as we saw with Sanchez. And he yeah. wouldn't command too many wages, would he? No, someone? you, you yeah. would I don't think so because at the end of the day I think when we talk about the, the ideology at Man United being wrong from the off when you're giving players it's almost like it's Christmas every day in Man United really isn't it I mean if instead of the players actually earning <laughs> their way up they already given the treats and the rewards before they've actually you know done that and, and, and worked towards the top I've got a question then about I mean to be honest all the silly money kind of it, it gets a bit ridiculous in the end doesn't it but then I can't remember what Delit went for in the end but weren't Manchester United really interested in him and if you are going to pay something like 80 million surely you'd kick yourself for not getting a really young player like Delict who can be with you for years and years no? Well I think they were probably very very interested in Delict, but that was just the choices that he had were a lot more appealing than playing the Europa League with Manchester United a real shame because those sort of big games that United lost and that loss of form you look at players like Sancho that was originally rumoured that maybe dropped that rumour dropped off because we didn't get Champions League and those could be two big players that United missed out on just because they faltered at the end of the season so they're big what ifs obviously you never know and uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing but I fully agree with you Alison that I think if United had the choice Delict would be a United player but it, to, to be able to not work with Ronaldo and Juventus it, it's a very easy decision Sorry to interrupt but suddenly I'm just sort of thinking out loud that Maguire character the kind of the guy that he is rather than the player that he is I really think that he's exactly what United needs 100% I don't know, Deck, if you would agree. Yeah, I, I agree completely, yeah. That English bulldog type, you know, you know the kind of, didn't he say, where are the Robbos and Kinos, Olo, the other day? Well, I think he's kind of one of those in the making. Is that a bit... I absolutely agree. I think that's a oh, really good, good shout, Martin. Like, <laughs> it, I've been saying this. I mean, I'm not a Manchester United fan, but I've always kind of admired the when they were, when Ferguson was there. I really admired how they were run as a club, and like, they were kind of the model that Chelsea tried to, to use when Abramovich took over. That's why they appointed Peter Kenyon. I think. Um, but I mean, like he kind of represents Maguire, this kind of strong character leader, yeah. a winner, you know, in a way, and who who kind of will drag other people along with him. He will know what Manchester United oh, is all about. Kind of at- sort of attitude yeah. I think yeah. yeah he'll have that if they're talking about him being a future captain I think that's a great a great shout if he goes there and he does well he's the perfect guy to lead Manchester United and I think that would be I mean obviously De Ligt would have I been I like centre-backs as captains as well I mean, yeah I do I definitely do 
for me was one of the greatest there were I mean and that and going back to sort of my experiences by the way watching John Terry I could wax lyrical about the way he is just you want him to be your captain the way he just was every single training session it's just absolutely brilliant and by the way he he used to tell me to not film during pre-season because he hated you know the kind of the bleep test style stuff and because he's you know because he's such a strong character and he wants to always be seen as being so capable and stuff when the players were absolutely on their knees um, in pre-season he actually asked you know after three or four laps could we switch off the cameras which is fair play because they looked absolutely goosed um but yeah no he, i mean what what a captain and the Vidic you mentioned and rio ferdinand's and all those kind of i think we're sort of losing that generation now and I, there are one or two out there and i think those guys are worth their weight in gold oh yeah I, i'm very much in agreement with that we're losing leaders i think we yeah. saw with united last um last season sorry james that i think we saw with united last season they not only needed a new centre-back and new defenders but they didn't have a leader i agree um, um, and obviously at the start of the season with Mourinho he tried to make Pogba captain and then took it off him and then United were left with Ashley Young to be the captain because an- even though Antonio Valencia was the club captain he was nowhere near the squad and then a fair play to Ashley Young he's a converted winger and United fans and a lot of football fans give him a lot of stick but he always tried his best for United even though it wasn't good enough for United at, at some games he did always try and be the best captain that he could be and that is definitely why Maguire I think appeals and why even though it's ridiculous money being thrown about I don't think people are as angry about it as as they could be because how important he could be for United and it's just what they need um so because anything is sort of an upgrade at this point it for me it sort of feels who's going to partner Victor Lindelof in the middle of United's defense at the moment because he's the only one that could sort of hold his head high after last season compared to all the other center backs so it does feel like who's going to be the parent of that and obviously the interesting thing from it is actually we've seen in preseason is how well Axel Twanzebe has been playing after because he was another player that was on loan at Villa last season obviously learning from John Terry and he's actually he started two out of the three games now and he's looked very strong and there was this sort of assumption that he was going to go back out on loan and now Solskjaer seems to favour him so this whole Maguire storyline takes a bit of an interesting turn if suddenly we don't get Maguire but Solskjaer wants to carry on this um, sort of youthful side to the team that Twanzebe could bring yeah and I think it, I mean, the, what I was going to say is this leadership thing is I, I, I see in football this we don't get the leaders that we used to have I mean you talk about the golden generation of England John Terry, Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Paul Scholes, Gary Neville, you know, um, there's so many, and they're all leaders. We referred to that, they're all leaders. All of them could have been captains of the teams. Like it was at Chelsea, Chelsea had like John Terry and Frank Lampard, who both could have been captain. I mean, John Terry was such a great leader that he had to be captain. Like I agree with Alison on that. Like he, you know, he had to be captain. I think it's just a new generation of players now. It's the way that they they have their agents. That you know, they're all on social media. I and mean, we saw obviously the um, you know the Jesse Lingard sort of social media video, and apparently Ollie's come down quite hard on him for that. But unfortunately, that you know, this is it's a new style of player basically, surrounded by new style of agent and you know social media, all the rest of it comes with it I actually think Harry Kane is a little bit of a throwback I don't know if you agree yeah I would say that in general he's got he seems to sort of have a bit of a sensible head on his shoulders but obviously it's just a really different time and it kind of makes me sound very old talking about it because I guess we just have to realize that this this is the new generation now talking about Manchester United defenders and captains a former United captain and central defender 
took over at Newcastle this week. I forgot he played for United. No, yeah. I wonder where you were going with well, that. I, I, it took me a while. That was incredible. Um, I didn't even say the word segue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Steve Bruce appointed Newcastle manager this week and then there's a bit of a drama around Sheffield Wednesday saying that, oh, we haven't agreed compensation yet. Outside of that, what what do people think about Steve Bruce going to, going to Newcastle? Yeah, I think it's mixed really, isn't it? I mean, I think the fans really, after Rafa Benitez had come in, they, they felt they had sense of optimism for the first time in a long time and uh, there was the and if Benitez had stayed this season the fans all felt that you know the club were not necessarily going for something crazy like top six but you know they were going to go up the league from where they've been in the languishing in sort of bottom table land and really push the top 10 maybe push for the top seven maybe try and get that Europa League position obviously Benitez has gone and um, they've replaced him with Steve Bruce who is a respectable manager you know someone who has a solid reputation generally with, with all the clubs he's been at it's so political of you Johnny I know no, he has a solid reputation at many of the clubs he's been at. But at the, at the end of the day, it's also a very different appointment to what Benitez would have been. I mean, if you just look back at some of Benitez's clubs, you've got Napoli, Inter Milan, uh, Real Madrid, Liverpool, Chelsea. Then you look at Steve Bruce's clubs, you've got Sheffield United, Wigan, Birmingham, Hull, Sheffield Wednesday, and obviously Sunderland, who, who are Newcastle's bitter rivals. I think that's upsetting a lot of the fans, isn't it? The thing is, it was always whoever was going to come in after Benitez was going to be a step down. It was going to be huge boots to fill because they adored Benitez. He just got Newcastle, didn't he? And, you know, even the, the stuff that he was doing around the city, like going to food banks and just absolutely getting what it feels like to be a Newcastle fan. I think at the end of the day, they need to embrace the fact because, you know, now that Bruce has been appointed, yeah, it might not be someone's first You know, you see some of these fans like absolutely ranting at the moment. And you've got to sort of look at him for what he has done. You know, he's been he's been promoted I think four times it is to the Premier League when you think about what he's got to do at Newcastle right first of all he's got to make sure they don't avoid relegation that's the the most important thing I mean people talking about getting higher up the table I think right now losing your two best players He's got such a job on his hands. And the fact that Rafa, you know, had chats with him and said he wanted to kind of look at the future and they weren't really looking forwards, you know, to a project, that implies that Steve Bruce isn't going to be getting the budget himself either. So it's going to be absolutely tough. We do say that, though, but the biggest uh, obviously transfer news we've had this week from them is this being accepted for Jolinton in... Um from Hoffenheim in Germany. Well, I'm a big fan of German football, so that sort of seems to be that Jose Perez money that seems to be put to um to yeah. one side because we discussed this last week is like that needs to be spent on players to improve. And obviously, like you said, Alison, it's very unsure if he was going to get a massive budget, but there seems to be a couple of things where I think they had money left over from the January transfer window. They had set amount of money for this window and now they've got the 30 million from Jose Perez and that's going to sort of total to about I think it's 90 million they discussed. That sort of seems to be Steve Bruce's budget, which seems like a lot of money when you consider all the stick that yeah. I've got this summer for sort of this 40 million. 40 million, yeah. But I um, really like um, Jolinton just to discuss him a bit more because he is a unique Brazilian striker that we don't really have that. It, like a good example, I guess, because they've come from the same club is Roberto Firmino. And he's a bit more rugged than Firmino. He's not as flashy as you expect your Brazilian strikers to be. But he, he had a, obviously his breakout year was last year in Germany Hoffenheim only missed about five or six games and nearly got to the the double digit goal mark but he had a really successful two-year loan before that while he was still a teenager in Austria um, with Rapid Vienna so he's definitely progressing and it seems like this is the sort of move that could come at the right time and it could be a really nice replacement for Rondon and Jose Perez for, for Newcastle that could sort of help Steve Bruce as he begins his Newcastle managerial career. Now definitely it'd be a huge boost for the fans because I think they were feeling quite low after the Bruce 
news. I also noticed that he's being called head coach rather than manager. And that's alarming some of the, the fans because they're basically saying, oh, this is Mike Ashley. This is not even Steve Bruce. But you've also got to sort of, you know, talk about some of the experience that Steve Bruce does have. I mean, he's been around a long time. I was watching a little bit of sort of their preseason games and he's, you know, being able to work with some of the under 23s, obviously, because loads of players are still kind of coming back and whatever. So maybe he's going to be the kind of guy who's, you know, going to be able to sort of a bit like what Frank Lampard's doing at Chelsea, kind of work with whatever they have with the addition of some key players as well. I mean, I think I heard that Perez and Rondon had scored 53% of their goals last season. So that's a massive void to fill. Yeah, no, I think just to just to come off that, Alice, that sort of leads nicely into the idea that some people have suggested that Bruce being head coach is some kind of puppet for Mike Ashley. But Bruce has come out in response to that and said that I'm in charge of transfers. To say I won't be in charge of recruitment has insulted me. Let me tell you, if I thought I couldn't have control of transfers, then I wouldn't be doing the job. I mean, it's worth remembering, actually, that when he was at Hull, he left because he wasn't happy at the club's lack of transfer business. He left of his own, you know, he, he wasn't willing to just stay around and carry on because he didn't feel like the club was going to the right place and subsequently they got relegated the season after so I'm sort of with you as well because there are some leaks as well uh, from journalists that have said you know he's the lowest paying manager in the Premier League apparently and he gets bonuses for every position that he finishes above the relegation zone so if those leaks are true and those uh, reports are true then that does encapsulate the height of Mike Ashley's true ambitions but I don't think he will necessarily be dictated to and made to look like a fool by Ashley because you know of course in the past he hasn't done that he's a very proud man and he has a very proud reputation. At the end of the day, uh, Johnny, he's uh, played one game as manager so far against uh, West Ham today and he's won. So 100% win rate. Yeah, 100% record, yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what the Newcastle fans are complaining about, really. I was looking at his overall win rate, though, and do you know what it is? It's, it's pretty low. You want to have a hazard a guess? Before that West Ham game? 40 40%. Not a bad guess, 38%. Interesting. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, though, you've got to factor in the clubs he's managed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yes. I think he's always, got to, he's always got to look at these things in context. I don't think yeah. he's as bad as everyone is making, as a lot of fans have made out. He's like a cuddly bear, isn't he, Bruce? And he's a local boy. I mean, I, you know, he said it was his father's club. I think that he can actually win a lot of those fans back, you know, by saying a lot of the right things, but they've got to give him a little bit of, uh, a little bit of slack at the beginning. And I guess, unfortunately, th- those fans are very passionate and they're not going to give you much time but I have a funny feeling he's going to win back some of them with with a lot of his emotional chat he's yeah, quite good like that I'm with you I mean the situation they're in at the moment a, a stable head like Steve Bruce is probably what they need isn't it you know because if they had put a novice manager in this position where you know there's mutiny yeah. with the fans and the board and they've just sold two of the best players you could be looking at it and thinking Newcastle could go down here but for some reason I know a lot of people seem to think they still might I just don't see it with Steve Bruce yeah. there I, agree with I don't you, think they're yeah. going to be pulling up any trees as far as the top 10 are concerned I think they'll be okay I think they'll be okay yeah I think they'll be okay generally one of the, I don't know whether to call it a quirky transfer, but it was certainly an unexpected one in terms of, if you looked a couple of months ago, you wouldn't have said this would happen. And that's a former Burnley player, Johnny. Yeah, my moment to shine. Uh, it's Kieran Tri- uh, Trippier. Yes. Oh. From Spurs to Atletico yeah. Madrid. And it happened this week. Um, he signed a three-year contract at Madrid, which is really, I think, is a weird length of contract, actually, for a player. And it was cheap as well, wasn't it? 20 million, was it? Yeah. And I was thinking, like, like this is this is incredible. A year ago, this guy is like an England hero. Everyone loves him. <laughs> he's scoring the free kick, which you know in the World Cup semi final. And now he's like almost not wanted at Spurs. I know people have short memories. I think James. I think many football fans do because when Trippier, uh, before that World Cup, Trippier had had a relatively decent time with Spurs. You know, he uh, he came in as 
I think back up to Kyle Walker to begin with and then he took the mantle he sort of progressed and got that promotion and he was doing relatively well and people said you know from his time at Burnley and obviously at Spurs I feel one of his best assets was his crossing ability which was absolutely fantastic you know he could deliver an unbelievable ball we saw that as I say many times in the Premier League when he went into the World Cup with England he became a wing back which meant that he could get forward even more and he was absolutely outstanding wasn't he in that World Cup he scored the free kick he was a constant threat down as that right wing back and I feel it was almost like a burnout because there was so little time for him to sort of have a rest get rejuvenated for the upcoming Premier League season he was thrown back in straight away almost and it just seemed to be a case of exhaustion fatigue or I don't know what it is but his performance has just declined a lot over that season and I think defensively he was never the best fullback he was always his strengths were always going forward but going forward it looked like he lost his confidence a little bit definitely people got on his back so quickly but what I would say is that if we remember you know form is temporary of course class is permanent and all that and obviously players do have dips in form over, over their periods of the career if he can recapture what he had before this one blip of a season then Atletico Madrid will be getting a very 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 accomplished uh, fullback at a very decent price of twenty million pounds. I, I agree, and I, you know, I, I think you still feel a bit sorry for him in a way, but then at the same time, I think that we've. Um, I was chatting about this on the radio the other day because we, we get used to just being surprised by hearing a player going abroad, unless it's Real Madrid or Barcelona. Atletico Madrid, you know, the, this is a really good side. He's going to be playing you know, Champions League football, working under Simeone. Who, you know, as we say, might develop his defensive side a bit better. He could come back as a brilliant player, like you say. I mean, it sounds to me that Pochettino doesn't kind of rate him anymore. He's fallen down the pecking order. Obviously, Serge Aurier, they brought in the last time they were spending three windows ago, I guess it was now. And I always thought it was quite funny as well, because um, he was behind um, Kyle Walker first. And then now he's also behind Kyle Walker-Peters, like the namesake. <laughs> I hate that name. He's like, oh. And yeah, you know what? I think how brilliant for him to have this experience, as I did, to go and live in Madrid and spend, you know, and, and work in a different league and everything. I think the reason why it seems like a shock is because it's 20 million. So it sounds like he's kind of been forced out rather than this dream move that everyone expects but you know if I was his PR people I would be doing this up that's like you know isn't this brilliant that this young English player is going out to you know to, to sort of have a have a go in La Liga and, and become a better player for it definitely I, I think it's a really interesting challenge for him as a right back because I wouldn't say as much as people appreciate Diego Simeone it doesn't seem like a very Simeone signing because he is so attacking in sense but he's got a good challenge because they've got two other right backs on their books at Atletico Madrid in Simi Vassal They've just lost one, haven't they? Did they just... Yeah, um, so Simi Vasalko, who um, had a very good World Cup as well with Croatia, um, and he'd obviously been on loan at Inter Milan last season. They also had um, Santiago Arias, the Colombian, who played there predominantly where, um, to cover from Juanfran, who's obviously been released. But um, obviously they signed Mario Hermoso, um, who can play the left-back and centre-back position. On the same day, they signed Trippier. So it's not going to be a foregone conclusion that he's uh, going to start. So it's actually going to be a really good challenge for him. But I always say it, I absolutely love it when Englishmen go abroad because it's just something we don't see and obviously there was this massive resurgence last year with Jadon Sancho going to Dortmund and also uh, Reese Nelson being on loan at Hoffenheim in, in Germany so it's, it's really nice to see these sort of um, examples especially from young players so now that a more experienced England international has done it like you said a lot of it was always like Gareth Bale or Michael Owen or players like that or David Beckham going to Real Madrid it's the team that's a bit different so I really want him to do well I really want him to stand out and sort of set this example 
And the one piece of advice I would give him is he's got to embrace the culture and he's got to learn that language as quickly as he possibly can. I know, but this is the thing. And I, you know, I experienced really similar problems to Gareth Bale, actually. So when I was at Real Madrid, I was working for Real Madrid TV and uh, Jonathan Woodgate, who was injured for 18 months, actually managed to learn a pretty good level of, of Spanish. And even though he had an absolute disaster of a time at Real Madrid, the fans loved him because the fact that he was able to, you know, converse, embrace the culture, and it goes such a long way like I'd almost say it goes further almost further than the player that you are when it comes to that kind of thing it sounds insane but I I really struggle with the language and I know that Ike Xias and Raul and you know some of the players used to have kind of digs at me and almost it, it started off as banter and it ended up a little bit like you know oh, who does she think she is not making enough effort? So, and I, I did try to be fair, really tried. I, I just struggled. But Kieran Trippier doesn't strike me as like someone who might be fluent in Spanish, but who? how do I know? It's his northern roots, Alison. <laughs> yeah, all I know is he's got, I think he's got a three-year-old son or, or daughter, a son, I think. And it's always handy when you've got really young kids because you don't have to drag them out of school. You're not sort of making too much of an upheaval in your life. And, you know, hopefully, as we were saying, it will it encourage more players to do the same. And I, think, I know Ashley Cole almost moved to replace Roberto Carlos years ago and I think sort of bits and pieces in his personal life with Cheryl at the time kind of stopped him from going but I actually think it would have been really interesting to see how things might have panned out for him as a player had he gone there um, at that time but yeah just just on the side note as well as far as Spurs are concerned obviously 20-25 million they would argue isn't too bad maybe from their perspective for, for a player who's declined quite a bit this season if they wanted to get him off their books but also they may have a solution with Juan Foyt as well who Pochettino used a few times at right back last season he also played at right back for Argentina in the Copa America and did very well uh, according to many reports so it, I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes a much more regular figure in a right back position as opposed to the centre back position which he uh, was initially used at Spurs yeah that'll be that'll, that'll be interesting and there, there's rumours of course that about Danny Rose leaving Spurs and and Sessegnon going to Spurs from and Fulham. So we'll have to see how those pan out in the next few weeks. I think so too. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on board, guys. Thanks for coming, yeah. Yeah, thanks for coming Pleasure. on. Pleasure. It's really, it's really great. Our very first guest. Woo! The honour. <laughs> yes, really great. Lots of insight into football journalism, football clubs. Yeah, really appreciate you um, coming on, Alison. No worries. Well, Transfer News Central have always looked after me as well because I've known you guys for a really long time and it's, you know, it's brilliant that you're still keeping this going and, you know, I always check out the sites and the social media and stuff because, you know, you're on the pulse basically, so that's good. It's nice to hear, yeah. Yeah, good to hear, yeah. All right, okay, so um, thanks for listening, everyone, and, yeah, we'll see you all next week. See you, guys. Amazing. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.